Hey everyone, thanks for joining. Today I'm speaking with Sirith Chawla. Sirith is a psychoanalyst, a psychotherapist, and she's in London. Um, and I believe she was originally from India. Uh, you should follow her on Twitter. She's got a really interesting Twitter timeline. Hey, Sirith, thank you for coming on. My pleasure. It's really cool to talk to you after kind of interacting on um, Twitter so far and being part of this little Twitter community of of sane people. <laughs> really yeah, nice. well, I mean, yeah, I guess that's Mostly yet to be decided. Sane. Somewhat sane. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, speaking of that, because I because I mentioned you're a psychotherapist, and you tweet mm -hmm. a lot about, you know, like wokeness and mm -hmm. trauma and how that works. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, my, you know, dime store pop psychology of sitting on my couch and watching YouTube videos is, like, I look at this and I'm like, I'm more worried about education than anything else. Like that's the thing that really concerns me with this, especially the, the spread of it in the United States and Canada. Mm. And when you're teaching kids that they're either oppressed or oppressor mm. and you're, you know, like taking away all hope, like even if you take like something like the trans issue mm. where you're telling girls you're continuously going to be oppressed and then giving them, well, you can become a boy, you know, like, mm -hmm. like I, like I look at that and I think of, you know, either extremism with Islam or yeah. um, I specifically remember the gangs in the late eighties in the United States, like the Crips and the Bloods and all the thing that was going on about that, you know, and it's like all these people, they recruit the, the weak, the marginalized. Yeah. I'm looking at what's going on in the schools and I'm just saying to myself, I mean, well, you're setting up a generation that's going to be weak and marginalized and feel alone and feel aggrieved. And you're just setting up, you know, a buffet for for extremists of any type like i mean it could be isis it could be the kkk it could be anyone mm -hmm. um so i don't know if i'm like making too much of this or if you've actually seen any like if you've seen any other stuff of the but the curriculum in the states or like i mean if you had any thoughts on something like that i've not seen not seen the curriculum in a way that's really detailed and intense uh, or intensive um i have seen the some of the specific critical race theory parts mm -hmm. of the curriculum and i agree with you um there's something really disempowering and really and the thing that's concerning is that this is when children are forming their identities and when they're being socialized into sort of um like a group or wider society as your peers at school that's a huge part of your identity and you're telling white children that essentially you're a little evil piece of shit and um, that's abhorrent, absolutely abhorrent. And you're telling black and brown children that the whole world is against you, making accommodations that is sort of the, you know, the soft bigotry of low expectations, as if black and brown children couldn't perform as well as any other race. There's so much, so much of this messaging that, that um, can become crystallized in identity. And it's, it's, um, it's really scary and really worrying stuff and worrying about how they're gonna grow up viewing race as well, because the children, I used to work in schools for a very long time and children really are colorblind. Um, they, don't, they don't care whether um, their friend is um, a different color, a different gender necessarily. They don't particularly care if you're able-bodied. As long as your friend is cool, and maybe has the right Pokemon cards. That's honestly all they care about. And he, he shares his snack with me and yeah, he's a great guy or, or she's funny, she knows all the good jokes. That's honestly all they particularly, you know, that's their awareness. And you're, you're widening and, and that's appropriate amount of awareness for that, for little children. And you're giving them this sort of um, view into this distorted, uh, lens of the world that's inappropriate for most children. They don't need to be burdened with that. Yeah, I mean that's one thing. Like I, uh, this is just anecdotal. It was, a, <clears throat> it was a friend of mine. He has a young son, I think, but three or four years old. Hmm. And they went shopping for Halloween costumes. Um, or sorry, his son was three or four when they went shopping for Halloween costumes. This was a couple of years ago. And, said he saw a couple other fathers there and one of the fathers was taking a costume off the shelves for his, for his kid. And the other kid, my friend said was about nine or 10. And that kid said, well, I can't wear that. That's offensive. I'm like, okay, 
a nine or okay, uh, you know, obviously there there are limits. I, you know, if the father was pulling down a KKK costume, which I mean, I don't think any which store would have one, but yeah, okay, I could see that. But if it was, you know, a Mexican costume or whatever, yeah. you know, it was like a you know, little girl and it was Pocahontas, and oh, I can't yeah. wear that because I mean, you know, let little kids be kids. That's what I don't understand. Like I I get that, you know, you don't want to infantilize everything, but they at one point they are infants and they are small children and they need guidance. You can't just, you know, get them so wound up about being offensive. I mean, like little kids need that imagination. Like that's what I don't get. That, that's like I said. And again, it's like, the, it's, it's the messaging. What's inherently offensive about being Mexican. Like a child can't, be appreciative of Mexican culture without someone screaming at them that's cultural appropriation or offensive or a little girl might want to be Pocahontas because she's, you know, in a sense, something a young girl can look up to and aspire to be like Pocahontas. She was brave and and, um, strong and it's, yeah, it's these ideological rules that are so puritanical that to, to think even little children are worrying about their moral purity. That's, um, you know, something has gone sideways. Um, I just, because like, because you work in, you know, uh, psychotherapy and stuff like with, with but like the, the terms that they're that being thrown around now, I've worked in war zones. Um, well, just, okay. W- weird little anecdote. Like, we had mind awareness training, you know, given to us depending on which military we're working with or where we were either every six months or every year. And every time you went out, they made you aware of landmines and the threats of IEDs and things like that. So they, they drilled it in your head. When I came back and I stopped doing that for about, okay, for the first six months, I wouldn't step on anything that wasn't like concrete or asphalt. I just wouldn't. Um, after that, you know, like, let's say I was at a friend's house and this is in Montreal at a friend's house, we're in her backyard, they're having a barbecue, and I would get really conscious about walking on the grass. Now, I'm not saying I have PTSD. Like it, took, like, it took me about a year to get over all that. But when I hear these terms like PTSD thrown around or, oh, you're giving me trauma and it's um, you know, words or violence, like that that kind of stuff, like, doesn't it? And when I see that coming from, like, you know, psychologists or therapists, I mean, doesn't that dilute your field? Like, doesn't that actually dilute what, those terms mean yeah it doesn't just it doesn't just dilute them it obfuscates sort of like obfuscates i always say that wrong um (laughs) what what it uh like what those terms what they really mean so it's sort of it's um it's almost like a glamour over the word over what the real word means so you're giving me trauma i mean that's a meaningless sentence what does that actually even mean? And this is the problem when you start to examine people and you want to ask them, well, what do you mean I'm giving, how, how can I give you trauma? What, what's, the, um, what's your rationale? Then the other ideological stuff comes up and the infantilized stuff comes up, which is, this is not validating. <laughs> you're not validating me. You're a therapist and your job is to be an endless well of empathy to everyone you ever meet and validate them. And it's just absurd. You know, these are 30 year old adults sometimes being really cross that someone on the internet didn't validate them. It's just, you know, does it have to do with like the victimization, like the, the making vict- victimhood a yeah. currency? Because again, I just, just cause of work, I've been in a lot of weird pla- places. Like, okay, I shouldn't say weird, but I was up in remote part of Canada and the way that I saw the Inuit being treated now, there wasn't really houses or anything there until about the 1950s. Um, you know, you're living in like where I was, was just at the tree line. So you're living in like extremely cold conditions. There's permafrost. There's, you can't do that if you're not resilient people. Like if you're weak, victimized people, you can't do that. And I, and I, you know, I don't want to take away from anything that was done with colonization with like the residential schools here. Like there was awful stuff done, but it's getting to the point where, um, something simple. Okay. Like I, I mean, I can get into like even bigger deals, but if you go to get your medications and so if I was going to go get my medication, I get a bottle and it says, take, you know, 
two tablets, you know, twice a day or something, something like that. It gives you the instructions. You walk away, you take your pills and they, you know, they're going to assume that you're going to take your medications for the Inuit. It was given out in, um, so for every week you had seven strips and it was either divided, you know, morning and afternoon, or it was divided into the dosage of the pills. So if you needed to take the pill four times a day, you had like for Monday, you had four things of take this pill. And it was all broken up like that. Everything was done for them. It was all given to them. They, there was no, there was no expectation of just, I mean, like I said, you're, here's a bottle of pills. You have to take two pills twice a day. Go take them. Like, I mean, like that's, yeah. that's normal. I mean, I, I, that should, it shouldn't be extraordinary. I mean, so that, isn't that the most basic instruction you it, could give? But someone? I mean, like, like this victim, like infantilizing people, always telling them that they're continuously victims, and then, you know, praising someone just for being a victim. And I'm not saying you should lash out at them or something like that, but like, the, in my mind, the praise should come after you know when you do something with it, you get over that victimhood, and you, you, you overcome it, you do something there. That's praiseworthy, but just being a victim, so. Like these people who are just, you know, oh, you've caused me trauma. Like, you know, yeah, whatever. I put out a stupid tweet and people started coming back at me. Like, I'm, yeah, I put out a stupid tweet. I did it. But I mean, like for some people, like I put out a stupid tweet and people are attacking me for it. It's like, well, you put yourself out there. You're going to expect something. And mm. it shouldn't be equated to trauma. Like, I, I, I <clears throat> like I, again, I still don't know. Like, because I know you tweet a bit, bit about um, your field. And I mean, is that yeah. coming from there or like, is that coming? Like, wh yeah. where's that all coming from type of thing? Sorry, I ramble a lot. <laughs> so, no, I like it. I do too. Uh, it's interesting. And also like what you went through after having been in war zones does, and maybe it wasn't full-blown development of PTSD, but that is traumatic. If where you step might kill you, then it's almost like your nervous system is primed to sort of stay in the sort of hypervigilant place. And that's legitimately traumatic. On the other hand, um, seeing a tweet you don't like, yeah. probably not traumatic at all. Um, and I think people equate, oh, I don't like that. That's traumatic. That doesn't validate my identity, the way I demand the world views it and sort of deifies it. That's traumatic what really happened is your ego got attacked and your fragile sense of self that is built around uh, identity characteristics and not a robust sense of self can't survive even the most minor pathetic attack, which is not even an attack because it's a tweet. And, um, you know, the, the, the term trauma informed is ideologically possessed. I used to call myself trauma-informed, now I don't. Because um, for me, trauma-informed means you have an understanding that the environment does play a role in the development of mental illness. And that the you know having some basic understanding of how the nervous system works is quite important. And um, you know, the neurological and by sort of, uh, their neuro sort of structural and functional uh, changes in the brain if you've been through traumatic experiences and just understanding all those things is just important, useful. You can be a bit more sensitive and empathetic and these are all good things. But of course we have to take everything so far that it, it, it becomes farcical and trauma informed now means, and I see this all the time, especially from younger therapists is um, you aren't trauma informed if you aren't actively dismantling systems that cause trauma. So these are the sorts of things was they'll never define well, what system mm. are you talking about? How exactly are you dismantling it? What tools are you using? What's the collateral damage that none of this is thought about? It's just, um, we have to dismantle. So you can be a completely garbage therapist, but as long as you're saying the right, uh, making the right noises, that's great. You're trauma informed. Um, and that has fed so, and they have so many stupid rules. So, um, and for some reason, they all use the word tender, which I've started to loathe that word. I have a tender truth, and, <laughs> and this sort of thing. And um, 
this group of trauma-informed people, sort of this ideological um, capture of what trauma means is, um, I see like a few veins of it that go back to postmodernism. One is that they insist that there's no such thing as mental illness. They actively, um, which is really stupid because it's like so regressive and so stigmatizing to people who are, are mentally ill. Um, they insist that everything is a response to trauma. That's what mental illness is, um, which again, as usual, they go for the most low resolution, univariate sort of analysis of very, very complex stuff. So they always miss. Um, and that's kind of what Foucault said stuff like that, didn't he? That um, everything is, uh, everything, there's nothing innate. You're a blank screen and everything is sort of um, the result of the environment you interact with. Um, and that's a bit true that you know, the environment makes a difference, but it's it's the it's the combination or the collision of what's innate with the environment that creates what you know traits and um, mental illness maybe and um, self personality behavior. It's all, there's so much there, and so that's one thing they go on about. Um, they love saying that the DSM is um, oh yeah they call everything eugenics that they don't like. Um, that's the other one. They like to say that the DSM was um, made by old white men, so it only serves old white men. Um, it's just, it's like dealing with angry 14 year olds who've just read a bit of philosophy um, and then just get everything yeah. wrong, but they're really like emphatic and vehement about it. And if you don't agree with me, you're just a, you know, you're the man. <laughs> when you mentioned 14-year-olds, like, this is where, I mean, I, I remember being in high school, you know, teenagers, I mean, kid, mm. kids are cruel assholes. Uh, you know, like you, you bug people tirelessly, you, you get teased. And I understand that, like getting bullied like that in school when you're that young, that, that can have an effect on you. So, I mean, I personally don't oh. think teenagers should be on social. I don't think kids should be on social media until they're maybe between 16 and 18 type of thing. And then that should be a parental decision. Like, you know, is my, cause you know, your kids, like parents should know their kids and are they, are they mature enough to go on there? Because I could see for like a 13 or a 14 year old, you know, making a tweet and it goes viral. Yeah. Like there was that one, a couple of years back. I don't remember if you saw it. And it was a young woman. She it was her prom night. She was in a Chinese dress and she said, look at my prom dress. And some blue check mark Chinese person got pissed off and said, my, culture is not your prom is not your prom dress or something like that and your know, cultural appropriation and this young woman got inundated and now for a young person like you know even like a 17 year old or something like that like it that okay i can i can see that having your know, lasting effects but once you're in your 30s like shouldn't your identity or self of you know sense of self be strong enough that you know, a bunch of anonymous accounts on Twitter or calling you stupid or, you know, making it a named thing that's saying wearing a Chinese dress is cultural appropriation. And it, you know, it was a young woman who was proud of the way she looked and it was her prom night. She was happy and this person just ruined it for her. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. Like that, I, I, I can see where that can, you know, you can say the things of something like trauma or something like that, like a, for a young person to get, you know, 100,000 yeah. people just telling her she's evil. Like I can see that, like that, Okay, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. The third. No, I agree. No, no. Go Sorry, ahead. Go Sorry. Um, I agree because again, it's about um, you know, like for example, it doesn't take much to traumatize a toddler, does it? So by the same same degree, maybe us who are like old and ugly enough to deal with uh, a, a tweet that goes viral and people tell us off, you might go lock down. You might be oh fuck you all. <laughs> all got this wrong you know you, it's, a, it's a different you, you've had enough knocks you've built up a bit of some calluses it's different when you're 14 it, that's not the case and really this Chinese lady like if that's your biggest fucking problem that someone wore a Chinese dress um, then you probably have a pretty nice life because anyone who has real material problems and like if I saw a kid wearing a sari, I might think, or a salvar to their prom, I might think, 
have a bit strange choice. Um, and they might have worn it like wrong. And I might think that's, you know, be annoyed for maybe one second. Or, you, or if they do it well, you might think that's really cool, actually. I like that. I don't know. It just it would hardly become something to get like in a moral panic about. There's like real stuff to worry about. Um because you'd mentioned sorry and all that and like you know because I'd, I'd mentioned you'd come i think you come from india originally now yeah. i've heard you talk about this before and it's it's something i you know I, I speak about it just in my case my family moved from india when i was six so you know, i'd go back every now and then but I, I grew up in canada um you know i didn't really grow up in india but you're working in war zones and like the traveling and stuff i've seen and it just you know like we have it pretty damn good so when you hear like like coming from there, coming from a place like India and growing up there and coming, you know, to the UK, um, when you're hearing some of these complaints and, uh, you know, and I'll, like, you know, I, I don't want to like, you know, women do get assaulted. Women do get raped. You know, like there's horrific things happen in the West as well. Like, let's not, you know, I'm not trying to, but when you just see that stuff like being cheapened here for, you know, mean tweets or, you know, I was catcalled on the street and they want to make that a hate crime in France. I mean, I think the women in India would probably be happy if they only got catcalled. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, again, I don't like, I used to get really, really angry about it and think that everyone in the West is just a mm -hmm. wimp that I used to, I did used to feel that way and think Jesus Christ, you're such soft handed wimps. And, um, like there's there's this another trauma thing that goes around and they say that not feeling seen or heard is traumatic and that creates trauma and i'm uh, serious this is a real yeah. thing they say and i remember thinking the first time i saw it that when my trauma was happening I would have been delighted not to have been seen or heard mm -hmm. like that would have been absolutely fucking amazing and what kind of narcissistic bloody um need do you have to be seen and heard by other like but do you not exist if other people don't see and hear you and it's the same sort of um nonsense um being catcalled is not a hate crime like it's rude the guy's a dick it's not yeah, nice, yeah, just so, sorry like, not I, I, you know, like, i'm not saying like let's go around catcalling a woman or it's a good thing to do or whatever but i'm <laughs> i'm trying to put it yeah. in like a, you know in yeah. perspective <sighs> Um, yeah, well, when women in India are literally gang-raped and burned alive, you know, being catcalled is kind of nothing. Um, and there's, there's, there's just so much here that's called traumatic, like being fat is apparently trauma, and people have, like, fat phobia, and um, wanting people, people wanting to be slim as white supremacy, and there's just like they just make everything into such a cartoon um and that's how i feel some of the, some of the, it really does feel like you're just watching cartoon network and like yeah. they're just going like when there's nothing to be offended by then you just you, know, you wore a chinese dress like haram yeah. oh God. <laughs> like, it's, it's, but, it's okay i mean you so, I mean, I, I'm assuming you're from a Sikh background just because of your name. Uh, so yeah. now I, I come from a Muslim background. I've I've seen, you know, the orthodoxies and I see that comparison all the time. Like, um, you know, if you're in a Sharia country, is it haram or is it halal? Now with this stuff, um, are you being racist? Are you being transferred? Like it's all seen through that one lens. It's, I mean, and it's, and you know, the, I know like, critical race theory works with identity difference differently than uh, gender theory and um, queer theory, but identity is central. And it's, if you criticize Islam, oh, you've attacked me as a Muslim. If you question yeah. whether or not, you know, police are killing black women, uh, black people every day, it's like, okay, well, you're questioning my identity as a black person or, or you know, things like that. It's, I mean, there is, like at least a cult-like aspect to it, if not a faith-like aspect. I think it's, um, it, I don't like to say faith because it's like they don't have faith in anything except doom, death, and um, like malevolent, malevolent uh, intentions. And it's like they're faithless. And I also think they 
they they operate like a fundamentalist religion slash cult. They do, <laughs> don't they? And um, you know, there's there's almost nothing you could say, even hello, and they'd find something to complain about that was racist, sexist, transphobic, and that because everything like they even say in their theory that um, identity before humanity. <laughs> so when we say colorblind, for example, they get so offended by that. And obviously um, every, every you know, like rebuttal of theirs is a straw man, because of course we aren't literally saying, I have suddenly gone colorblind and I can't see people's <laughs> colors or I don't celebrate differences. It's just um, like the Dawkins oh, thing that has just happened. So stupid. So <laughs> stupid. And it's what he asked a question and he used the word transgender. So now he's transphobic um, because he's questioning the identity. Yeah. And it, like, here's where that identity thing comes in. Like, I don't know how much you've read and I, cause I know you, you post about it a lot. And I, the, as far as I can tell, like with queer and gender studies, it's because that's purely postmodern or critical race theory has critical theory and stuff. in it. But it was the identity in and of itself was imposed upon so like, you know, male, female, man, woman, those are cis heteronormative. Mm. They're imposed upon by, you know, white men. And so you have to queer everything to get out of that and you have to break down the norms. So you take on your identity and then that identity becomes central to you. Whereas in critical race theory is like, we have to break down all these identities. We have to break down whiteness, but we're going to take on the identities that were given to us by white people because we're going to, you know, that's what was given to us and we're going to embrace that. So one says they want to break down, but they're still embracing it. The other one says, we're going to embrace what you gave us and we're going to keep it. And what I find with both of these, it's, it's the same thing. And it's like with, you know, I'll, I'll stick with Islam, but um, if I'm act, you know, Oh, Asians are taking on whiteness. So Jews have whiteness because they own property. So, to other marginalized people, to other, you know, you know, brown, black, or like, you know, like other religious minorities, like Jew, ethnic minorities, like within Jews, it's just, well, you are, we're going to give you whiteness. So they're putting on an identity onto someone else because they're saying, oh, it was put onto us before, but you people aren't corresponding. So we're going to put this onto you. They're giving it to you. It's the same thing with the, with the gender stuff. And it's the same thing with Islam. Like, okay, you're a Muslim. You're not, you're not a Muslim. You you aren't saying the right things. Like it's the same kind of stuff. It's uh, like the, the way they play with identity really bugs me on that. Like it, 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 well, it's not, no, I was Sorry, just saying, it takes something awake. It's not like, you know, my identity is not the color of my skin. My identity is, you know, and that's, that goes for everyone. It, it, it's, it's a complex mix of things. And to just break it down to that one thing, it's insulting. It's demeaning. It's just, you know. it is insulting and demeaning and there's no, um logical consistency or coherence um because you know if i'm in this situation i just bend all my principles and worldview and if i'm in a different situation um then bend it again and it's true your my identity isn't the color of my skin either or my gender or or anything else really my identity is like you said, a complex mix of things, some things you've overcome, maybe some things you're good at, some things you suck at. Um, it's there's, there's so much more to a person than um, just focusing on skin, which it, it is to me. No one, no one else in my life has made me more conscious of my color than the woke. No one else ever. Like, not even actual racists just just the well they are racist um they they make it so you almost can't forget that you're a person of color um is they make it so that you you almost want to lead any statement you make with but i'm not um you know don't attack me because i'm these are my different intersectionalities and you see people doing that. They start a sentence with, as a you know, queer brown person with a small a, a small fat. Like I've seen actual like, they, this is how they start. It, it's it's like bubble wrapping themselves or shielding themselves from being ripped apart because oh, you can't rip, not if they're queer. 
the opinion's fine if they're queer. If they're not queer, the opinion's not fine. You talking about your experiences in India. Okay, you know, I grew up in India. I did this. Yes, that, that has validity. But, you know, as an Indian woman, I think taking these stairs is racist. I mean, okay, like, no, that, that has no meaning. Like, like, no, sorry. But, you know, exactly. you know, as a woman who grew up in India, I could tell you about the rape culture. I could tell you about what, you know, okay, yes. And it's, and again, it's not definitive. It's not, it's you, but that lends character to it. And there is, there is a place for identity like that. But not for like I said, you know, as a mm-hmm. was, as an Indian woman, like walking up these stairs is offensive to me. Like no, like like, and that's where yeah. I mean, they, they take something that's you know, there is a way to have identity politics where okay, you know, this community has like let's say the black community in the United States, they you know, there has been this this and this done to them, and their communities are impoverished right now. We're going to make these programs to help lift up communities that are impoverished, and we're you know, we're going to do it for everyone, but that will disproportionately help the black communities because they were the most disproportionately hurt. So that's a normal policy. And that that is identity politics playing into it. It's good, but you know, we're going to look for black doctors or black teachers, or we only need black. This like, that's, that's when it gets dangerous. And that's or black or, or um, black or brown or whatever yeah, pilots or whatever. I mean, and it's not to say that there's not qualified black doctors and not qualified, you know, it's, I think anyone who objects to it, because again, that's a straw man. Oh, what? You don't think there's enough people? Like, look at all these people apply for jobs. It's like, no, sure there is, but you should be cast. Like I want my hospitals to cast the widest net possible. You know, if they've mm-hmm. got to go to the furthest reaches of the earth to find a good doctor, I don't care. They're a good doctor. They're a yeah. good doctor. Bring them over. And yeah, you know, when it comes down to it and you've got, you know, five positions and 10 candidates and you want it and they're all equal, you know, more or less they're, they're like, you know, they're pretty much equal. And you want to say, okay, you know what? We want to get a couple of, you know, brown doctors or black doctors or whatever, or we need more women doctors at that point. Okay. There, there is a decision to be made and I, I have no problem with that, but it's just, when you start off from the, when you get from the get go, it's like, we're looking for black doctors. Like, no, you're, you're cutting yourself short like you're missing out on a whole bunch of stuff i agree i don't want anyone to come and see me because i'm indian or a woman as a therapist i want them to come and see me because i'm good at my job and because we're a good fit and because um our collaboration really helps them make meaningful change in their life that should be the only criteria um and if they don't mind swearing (laughs) occasionally um but this whole thing about we need this color of doctors and this color of pilots, well, people are going to die because of this. Um, you, you, you need to, you, you, if you're hiring a pilot who's driving a, a metal pressurized tube through the air full of human beings, it should be the best person to mm-hmm. do that, not because they're a color or a gender or anything else. And the same with like, you don't want your brain surgeon to be there because they're not the fucking best. These, these are these are things that need to be looked at and need to be questioned. But then you have um, all the useful idiots who need to virtue signal and jump up and down. And they're, um, I call them vi- vicariously offended because they're not in any of the groups they're talking about but they're offended on behalf of everyone. All yeah, I, I just, I just tell, when I see and, someone like that, I just tell them that's victimhood appropriation. You're appropriating someone else's victimhood. So yeah. I just stop doing it. <laughs> that's true. That's true. It is actually, that's a good one. Um, and it's just, there's just so many logical fallacies. Um, there's so much um, infantilization. They, this weird reverse upside down hierarchy they want to create um and you know it's like they they're giving white men so much credit <laughs> in a way like but the, they sort sorry, of but behave, they're also doing it, something i just wanted to like interject a friend of mine's a counselor and he's in the uk as well and i'd spoken to him and i mean he was talking about you know seeing people they would be coming into his you know for therapy or for counseling and they'd say things like you know i've got anxiety because i lost my job or i've got anxiety because i've got a you know new girlfriend or whatever like you know and then he said more and more he was seeing it i've got anxiety because i'm white 
And now that's not a healthy oh, population. Wow. Like that, 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 that's not helping anyone. Like it's no, no. You know, like, uh, yeah. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Like, but that was like when you were talking about you know, yes, they put white yeah. people like oh you know. They own everything and like, you know, being objective is white, like loving to read is white, like all these things, right? You know, like professionalism is white, whatever. And, oh, they have all the power. They have all this. But at the same time, too, it's just like, you know, you're telling them that they're evil and you're telling them that they've done everything wrong. It's I kind of equate it to um, South Asian Muslims, the love-hate relationship they have with Arabs. Like they, they just don't like the Arabs because, you know, they, you know, they're coming over here. They're doing, you know, like they're like... Uh, or when you go to work in Saudi Arabia, like, I mean, you're treated awfully if you're coming there as a South Asian and, but they love Arabic that, you know, if you're a Muslim, like that's where the religion comes from. So all that's good. So it's like, I kind of equate it to that. It's, it's a weird thing because it's. It is a weird thing. And it's sort of, like you said, the whole, you know, being um, men and women or is this, it's this heteronormative, whatever um, patriarchal idea, but, well, if that was the case, why is every population in history had men and women? Why do why is the entire animal kingdom males and females? Um, how do you expect you to exist in this moment espousing your gibberish nonsense if a male and a female didn't reproduce and, and create you? Um, and it, again, this is another thing where, okay, you, you don't think you're a male or a female, that's fine but they exist and sex is a real, bi I don't know why it's saying biological sex is real is now um, hate speech basically. Yeah, I like, I worry about some of that. Um, okay, so I was, I was in North America when you had the creationism and um, intelligent design, all that bullshit go through the universities and try to come through and go through the schools. So the science wars in like the mid to late nineties. And I mean, some of it went on in the early two thousands as well, but, now you have biology departments where there are people in university biology departments who are afraid to talk about sex versus gender. And, you know, you've got K through 12 education. Like there's a case going on in Canada. A kid was a little girl was in kindergarten and her parents are showing the school. You know, they, they put a little spectrum up and they asked the kids to show where on the spectrum they were as a, a boy or a girl. And they, and she put it all the way on the girl. So like, this is, you know, kindergarten kid, five or six years old. And the teacher said, no, you're wrong. You're lying. No one's 100% one or the other. And there's no such thing as a 100% girl. Now, you're confusing the kid. This is also coming into biology classes in the in, you know, K through 12. So if biology departments are affected by this, who's there to stop an intelligent design incursion now? Like, the, like when, the way I look at this stuff is, okay, it's a direct attack on liberalism and democracy, but it's the overcorrection and what it allows for. I mean, we used to have, we had, you know, the universities, we had a press we could rely on. We had academia, we had reliable pushback to intelligent design or climate denial or, you know, any of it. Now that pushback is gone as insane as the stuff it was fighting against. I mean, like, what do we have left? I think um, Douglas Murray keeps talking about this really eloquently, um, and he says there's no stopping point. Like when 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 do you stop correcting? Well, you've overcorrected. How how long is this going to go until we kind of create? Um, well, we have an entirely new set of problems. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know. I mean, the overcorrection thing. I've been worried about that for year years now. I've been saying it. Like when I first started seeing this, you know, everything being called racist and all that. I said, you're going to get an overcorrection. You're going to get things going the other direction. Like it's, you know, like Charlottesville. And I'm not blaming Charlottesville on anyone except for the people who did it. But like, I like that, like those people were responsible for their actions. But what I, I, but like the way I can see how that led up to is this hyper focus on race with kids. There was a school, there was a few schools in New York City around 2015, and they're all private elite schools. You know, they started with the third grade and they, these schools were uh, kindergarten through grade eight, but they started in the third grade and they went up to the eighth grade. So all the kids from third to eighth grade, 45 minutes a week, they would split up. They would be told they'd be split up by race. 
the white kids would say would be told that they'd oppressed everyone and how they were oppressors and they should be ashamed of everything they did. And all the other kids were told that they were oppressed and here are the achievements of your race, your races. Now, within, I think a few, like a few months, white kids started spouting out white supremacist rhetoric. It's, it's like, well, what do you, ex- like you're getting them to focus on their race. You're telling them that they're evil. And you know, like these are third grade kids. So what nine years old, maybe like, I'm not sure. Like, you know, and so that happened in 2015. Now Charlottesville was 2017. Now I'm not saying that those people went through those classes, but just like with Islam, again, you had right-wing people who read the Quran, who read the Hadiths, and they would go out and say, they would talk about it, but they would warp it because there was no, that whole, that whole conversation was left open. Like it was left vacant. Um, you know, it was anyone who tried to speak out was labeled right wing. And, you know, it was, it was like a horrible thing, like around when they were, when it was coming up. And so the right wing people took terms like the Kia and got it, got it mainstream. They, they said they took actual facts from the Quran and they not misrepresented them, but they just overplayed them. And you're gonna have the same thing happen with here. So if some alt-right nut like Jared Taylor or Richard Spencer actually read some critical race theory and stuff like that, which I'm sure these people did because they went and read the Quran and the Hadith, right? They can go back to their followers and say, see, they hate the white man. This is what they say about the white man, right? And yes, those people are idiots. Those people, the, the, you know, like like the, the guys in Charlottesville, it's not a defense of them, but it's, if you can't see how this kind of education is going to lead to that, like, like that's what I'm always worried yeah. about is that overcorrection that comes through. Like, like I think this stuff is, you know, like I said, a threat to democracy, a threat to liberalism, but it's bigger threat is it takes away all our capacity to deal with actual real, you know, uh, real yeah. threats. Like, yeah. bigotry. well, not just bigotry, yeah. but I mean, climate change. Yeah, like, like, you, you can't deal with climate yeah. change when you're worried about so, uh, climate justice and then the people of color are more affected by climate change than white people. Like, it, it, you can't yeah. work like that. Like it's that, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's such yeah. a screw up. Well, it takes, it takes out of it any chance of um, objectivity, any chance of coming up with functional, usable, like effective, efficacious solutions because you're muddling things into science that don't belong in science, for example. Um, and I, I have the same worry that there's going to be a pushback and it's going to be reactionary and it's going to be bad. And that's one of the reasons I talk about it constantly, because um, it would be better if we can help change minds than if um, something terrible happens. Um, and it's, it's, even the term white supremacy, it's sort of, when we think, say white supremacy or white supremacist, you think of someone who's completely insane at the end of a spectrum, who um, hates people for no reason, is just, you know, like off key person. When they say, when the woke say white supremacy, they mean timekeeping and punctuality <laughs> and ice cream and sourdough bread and wanting to lose weight. Like these are all real things. Being in the forest <laughs> is white supremacy. Um, so, again, like people are getting more and more desensitized to it as well. And I think there are lots of people who were not racist in the not racist camp who weren't particularly, um, you know, clued into the stuff, who weren't particularly interested, which is going about their lives and minding their own business and not troubling anyone, who I think are going to be pushed to the right, hardcore. Well, it's, it's, it's like, okay, there's push to the right, but there's also like you said, the apathy and, you know, the terms have no meaning. So they, they just want to go about their lives, but they keep hearing it every day. And, you know, forget Trump, but let's say the next presidential election, there's an, someone comes in from the, for, you know, for either party, I don't care. Like, you know, but let's, you know, in, in this weird woke world, it's going to be the Republicans, it's going to be some populist who comes in, who's, you know, charismatic and he's, you know, well-spoken, whatever but he's a complete authoritarian, he's a complete bigot, whatever. 
I mean, if you desensitize people so much at that point and they just want to go about their lives and you keep hearing, oh, don't vote for this guy. He's a white supremacist, but you're just hearing the same other stuff from the other one. They might just say, I don't believe you. And, you know, he's talking about economic policies and you're talking about, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, whatever, exactly. And so that's kind of thing I'm worried about because I still think there's going to be a lot of people who are just, you know, okay. I mean, if you're a store clerk or something and you're going about your life and you're doing it, you're, you know, you're eking out a little meager existence. None of this stuff is really going to matter to you, but if you keep hearing it and you keep hearing that term devalued at one point or other, you're just not going to listen to it anymore. It's like the, the boy who cried wolf. Um, I want to ask you about something. Cause it's like, I, I want to get back to the psychotherapy for a second. It's just now again, mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong about this, because like I said, you know, I don't know much about it, but like, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Now, from what I understand of it, mm. it's it's to help you to to help you deal with you know like past trauma or like anxiety, and it's to give you the tools that you're able to do it yourself. I'm not saying that you don't have to go to a therapist, but let's say you know you get an anxiety attack, your your panic attack or something, and you it gives you the tools to cope with it. Now, you know you said oh you have to deal with to deal with your anxiety face on you have to you know like from my understanding that that's what it is but with this new way of thinking where you know cut all the mean people out from your life you have don lemon telling you before thanksgiving like if you have trump voters in your family like you know kick them out and you know like like cut them out of your life and things like that so when you're hearing that and someone who's being raised on that goes into see a therapist and if the therapist is you know actually trying to help them with something like cbt are they going to turn that around and say, okay, well, I have to deal with you know, the trauma in my life. This person is causing me trauma because they're sending me mean tweets or whatever. And I'm just, you know, or my uncle voted for Trump. That's causing me trauma. I'm going to cut my uncle out of my life. That's me taking something like, is it warping things like, like a, that I get, am I kind of correct about CBT and B like, is this actually going on or is there, is there a threat of this or. It is going on actually. Um, yeah, you're pretty much right about CBT. It is um, looking at cognitions around certain behaviors or states and then helping you to essentially evidence test and reason through them. It's kind of like, imagine if rationalism was a psychotherapeutic mm-hmm. modality. And, you know, this is more complicated than that. Like things like if you're scared of going on the tube, helps you through exposure therapy and one day you go you know, down the street to the tube station. The next day you go and you just go on the platform. You don't go into, third day you go, maybe you sit on it and then jump out. Fourth day you go and go one stop. So slowly helping you. Um, and it's it's very, very useful for helping people get functional quickly. It's not really like, it's not dealing with the deep stuff. It's not dealing with, um, you know, the tectonic plates of your being, which some people do have to deal with. But if you're sort of scared of going on the tube, that's a great, that's a great, useful, helpful um, thing. It's a great way of thinking to internalize so that you kind of do it to yourself all the time. Sort of, oh, I'm getting angry at this, but it's not really the other person's fault. Getting some form of, you know, it's called mentalization when you can have, you can look at yourself with a bit more objectivity and have awareness that of the other person, not just self-awareness, but um which is really lacking it's like a complete a whole generation of people who have no other awareness and they don't think about the fact that there's other living breathing human beings that are not less important than you um and the sun doesn't shine out of your asshole um which is not cbt so yeah you do get people who are told a lot of these things and it's kind of drummed into them And if you think about how pervasive the messaging is, not only is it in schools, as we've talked about, university is like, I mean, academia has become a complete fucking joke. And um, it's they're they're taught this, they're in these really toxic, hostile environments where you might be cancelled in the university. University just seems like really weird places now. I'd very, um, like repulsed by them in a fear-based way almost um and then all over social media this is the popular messaging and then the mainstream media and then all the useful idiot celebrities and and famous people who just adopt it and bang on about it so the messaging is um 
They're like, it's all around you. There's no escape from this. And then it's also gotten into therapy. And so then you have all the therapists who are telling people that, you know, if someone doesn't understand you and see you and hear you, you should just cut them off. Um, it's really, really, really scary. And there's a lot of therapists who do this, who, who have realized that the thing that will get them likes and follows and, and get them some social media capital is by telling everyone the reason you're suffering is trauma, not your fault. Um, definitely not your fault. Like that is really honed in and like drilled into people. And um, to tell them that they're just normal human behaviors are trauma responses. So everyone is walking around be and thinking that they're traumatized. And if you ever talk to them like an adult, um, this has never happened to me in my practice, but in on social media it happens all the time. Is if you respond to another adult like they're an adult, especially on my therapy page, they do not like that. They want you to be like, uh, oh, it's great you think I'm a fucking idiot. Let's talk about that more and let me validate your feelings. And it's like, well, you can get fucked if you're going to come on my page and <laughs> fucking idiot. So um, it's, it's really, um, so yeah, you do get people who just have, their, their minds are um, being actively warped because as we know, wokeness is the antithesis of rationalism. There is no rationality, rhyme, reason, logical consistency, common sense, <laughs> sanity. <laughs> it's even like, like a pseudo, it's a pseudo reality. Because if you, some of the narratives that they bang on about, if you look at the data, the narrative is disproved in one second. And um, so it's, it's, um, it is, I know Jonathan Haidt calls it anti-CBT. And I kind of feel like it's, um, a step further than that and it's conditioning people into being unwell um, and I have seen people who have become unwell because they've been to university and been taught postmodernism, and then they are just convinced that everything is relative and um, that there's no point to the world and, and especially if the person's vulnerable you're doing something really horrible to them you, know, you just kind of like getting your fingers, your grubby fingers into someone's head and messing with it. I look at it um, as conditioning. So I spent, when I keep talking about it, I spent about 18 months uh, reading nothing but critical race theory, intersectionality, and some gender theory and queer theory. So I, I like pretty much, like I think I read three other books in that 18 months and all the rest I read was this. Wow. Now, again, like I was telling you about being overseas and coming back and like worrying about walking on grass and stuff like I'd been conditioned yeah. to look for things. Like I'd been conditioned that every time you go on the road, you keep an eye out for anything that's out of place, because if it's out of place, it could be a bomb. It could be a threat. So, I mean, the last, so when I was working overseas, I was on contract work. So I'd you know, work three months and I'd get a like three weeks off and I'd be home. So my last leave, um, you know, like after that leave, I went back and I returned for good. Like, so my last leave, I was with my brother and we we're coming back from a movie and I was driving him back to his place. It was around 11 o'clock at night in Montreal. And coming to a red light, there's a bus stop. And at the bus stop, it's abandoned, but there's a box of diapers. Now, the first thing that went through my head, like I said, we're downtown Montreal. The first thing that went through my head is that's not supposed to be there. That's a bomb. Because I was conditioned to look at that. I was conditioned to look for something yeah. that was out of place. And as soon as it was out of place, that's the first thing I was supposed to think of. After reading like critical race yeah. theory and intersectionality, I could be taking the subway and I could be seeing um, a black man get up and give his seat to a you know pregnant white woman. And I could see racism in that because I was taught to see racism. And so wow. like, I look at this stuff as you're conditioning people to continuously look for racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, whatever. Like you're, you're conditioning people to look for that. And it's, yeah. it's like, that's where it's, I mean, you shouldn't be that hyper alert. Like, I mean, I didn't realize under how, like, again, like, I don't want to, you know, I was a civilian. I was a contractor. Yes. I went in dangerous places and whatever, but I don't want to compare myself to a soldier. Like, I'm not trying to do that, but like, even in myself, like I, you know, when I got back home on leave or whatever, or I left the base and I went on vacation, I was on leave. Like, you don't realize how much stress you're under until you, until you walk away and then it, it gets taken off and it's kind of like, Oh, wait a minute. Like it's not there anymore. 
And it, it, was, it was like, so like you're conditioning people to look for stuff. And, uh, you know, that really scares me. And look, I, I, sorry, like I said, I ramble a little bit. I don't want to keep you too much longer. I mean, I'm happy to talk for you as long as you want, but I wanted to ask you about if people are like, like someone, let's say someone's looking for a therapist. What should, like in your opinion, what should they be looking for? What would be, um, you know, warning signs of this might not help you? And I, and I realize everyone's different. Like, you know, if you have depression as opposed to, um, you know, you've got borderline personality disorder, like you're not, you're, you're going to be treated differently. Like, I understand that. But like, just if someone's just going because of, you know, anxiety, stress, every, you know, like just. Yeah nothing too major, but like if they were trying to go to a therapist or something like. So, yeah, if you're really, really unwell, bipolar, um, schizophrenia, a serious personality disorder, you need to go to, you know, the, the best place to first go is your, your primary mm -hmm. care physician, and then they'll signpost you to the right place. And, and yeah, that, but then if you're thinking more of like the rest of us, sort of like the worried well, um, then you, it, trauma informed is now sort of a bit of a, a sign. Could be that the therapist is ideologically captured. Um, if your therapist is constantly only validating you and they don't do a lot in soothing you and do nothing else really, um, then you're not getting that much out of therapy. The point of therapy is that you work as a team. It's completely, it's really collaborative. You really do. Um, lay everything out on the table and look at it together. And um, you want a therapist that can help you make meaning of what you're going through, help you kind of integrate it and, and, and create some sort of context of, of the thing you're talking about in your life. You wanna feel that, um, you, you wanna feel like you're in safe hands, that's quite important. Um, and that you really trust them not just trust them to tell them anything, but trust them that they're, whatever they're doing, saying, suggesting is really with your best interests at heart. Um, and I think some of the, at this point, people ask me this all the time. How do I know that if the therapist is woke if there's nothing said? I just say, ask them, just ask them. If, cause lots of therapists will do um, uh, an initial call and, you know, just to see, see if you're a good fit on an initial session. And I think you should ask them, are you woke or do you believe in, um, like, are you weaving the stuff into your therapy or is it pure therapy? And I need, like, this is important for me to know in terms of choosing a therapist. Um, and you can always kind of tell by the stuff they stick in their um, descriptions. There's usually some tells there. Um, the other thing that's usually safe is go for somebody a bit older because um, they've been trained in, in a different time. And... I think psychodynamic therapy or depth psychology or psychoanalysis, that's usually, um, it's, it's much harder to ideologically capture people who practice those modalities. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. Um, like yeah. I said, I, you know, I don't want to keep it too long, but if you've got any last words, you want to talk about anything, let people know where they can get a hold of you and your website. I'll put the links in the description. Please go ahead. I'm um I have ADHD so all my things like my website are um you know they've been being worked on for about <laughs> seven years um my website actually I've given it to a designer now and she's finishing it for me and it'll be up soon and that'll just be my name see that's kheavala at um at it's gonna say at it's not an email address dot com um and then I'm on Instagram it's see that kheavala at Instagram on Instagram and the same on Twitter and I think my last words would be to people, tell the truth. That's really, really important. Um, I think that's kind of like the most important thing. Believe your perception of things. Um, don't let people get their hands into your head and mess with your perception of the world. And even if you've got it wrong, that's for you to work out, not for other people to, to fuck with your thinking. And, um, there's there's something there's two things in Sikhism that mean a lot to me and that I think really inform a lot about how I treat this stuff. Um, one is Charitikala, which means rising spirits even in the face of adversity. Um, and I kind of think of that in terms just 
laughing at them. Like people can't get to you that much if you stay light lighthearted about it. Like not mean and spiteful and personal, but just stay lighthearted about it. And that can be really, really helpful. And also, um, you know, like the last guru said that all six have to be sort of like um, a, a saint soldier. That's the literal translation translation of the word. And the point is to like you should defend yourself. You should defend other people. You should be in a formidable opponent, but never use excessive force or be like a vengeful monster like they are. Um, do it honorably, and I think both those ideas are really important truth courage stand up for yourself don't bully them back but don't fucking let anybody trample all over you well that's great thanks a lot and thank you very much for coming on my pleasure and thanks everyone for listening <laughs>